Welcome to Built to Go, a van life podcast. I'm your host, Jeff Wagg, coming to you from the College of Curiosity. Welcome to this episode 23, in which we're going to discuss such fascinating topics as Moon, Oklahoma, a place to visit that actually moves, a resource recommendation that involves a very large poodle, how to earn money while you're on the road, or at least some ideas thereabouts, and what to do about insurance. Some heavy topics, but let's get going. Hello, everyone. Thank you for listening once again, or maybe for the first time. I really appreciate you tuning in here, so to speak. First, a correction, because that's how we roll. In episode 22, I mentioned that folks at Starry Meadows in Colorado, the dark sky site owned by the Colorado Springs Astronomical Society, that some folks there saw Charon, the moon of Pluto, with a 12-inch telescope on a remarkably clear night. In fact, that never happened. Well, it did, actually. People did see Charon, the moon of Pluto, but what they saw it with was a 20-inch telescope, not the 12-inch telescope that I'd mentioned. And for astronomers, that's a significant difference. A 20-inch telescope is significantly more rare uh, and more expensive and much less likely something you're going to encounter in the field, but Colorado Springs Astronomical Society attracts some extremely dedicated amateur astronomers, so they did have one. So, just wanted to correct that so my astronomer friends wouldn't have to come track me down and beat me with a large light tube. But wait, there's more! A last-minute correction. When I was talking about front-wheel drive, rear-wheel drive, all-wheel drive, four-wheel drive, etc., 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 somebody pointed out that one of the most iconic vans in the world is actually rear-wheel drive, but without a drive shaft. And that would be the Volkswagen bus, or vanagon, or whatever the heck you want to call it. The classic Volkswagen van, perhaps the most well-known vehicle in van life, in fact, is rear-wheel drive, but the engine is also in the rear, making it uniquely, yeah, honestly, it's a uniquely capable vehicle. It's also one that is no longer sold in the United States, which makes no sense to me. So thank you to Brian for that, because that is something I should have brought up last time. That said, let's move along with uh, this. Uh, this episode is going to be a little bit different because I've got two kind of heavy topics that I don't enjoy talking about, which is kind of a strange thing, but I think they're important. And so I want to get right into them. Earning money on the road. If you have decided that you're going to live in your van full time or at least long enough that you're going to be working from your van, you're probably anxious about that. And that's completely reasonable. So let's talk about it, and uh, let me give you some resources, and let me just make you less afraid of that. First off, if you are getting your information from Instagram and YouTube, and you're looking around, and, and, you, and you start Googling on this topic, you're going to instantly see all this advice that's going to lead you to the idea that you have to be a creative in order to do this. You have to be a website creator or an artist of some sort, or maybe you're focused on SEO, that would be search engine optimization, and you're consulting with people, or yes, those are all valid ways that you can earn a living, but they're not the only ones. I'm not exactly sure why the focus is on those, except that the people who do that for a living are promoting that as part of their jobs. I think. I think that's what's going on. Anyway, doesn't matter. All of those are valid, but please don't be put off and think that's all you can do. If you think about it, 
you can do just about anything if you work from the road. The only thing you can't do while living in a van is have a job that you have to report to the same place every day and travel. Let's be clear about that. There are people who live in vans who have everyday nine to five jobs that they go into an office or a factory or a restaurant or wherever they work every day and live in vans and nobody knows because where you live is nobody's business. The trick is how can you have a job that lets you travel? The van actually isn't part of the picture. You could do all this stuff in a hotel room, right? I mean, a van is a hotel room on wheels. So don't let that get in the way. You do have a problem of having no permanent address, so to speak. In fact, I'd argue you do have to have a permanent address to do van life properly so that you can receive mail and be taxed properly and all those things. I'll talk about that in a different episode. But if you're looking to make money from the van, consider that all you really need to be able to do is have somebody pay you for your time. (laughs) That's really it. Sounds simple, right? Yes, it's COVID times. Things are more difficult than usual. But I have not had a job where I had to report to an office since the 90s. I haven't worked all the years between now and the 90s. I've had a very strange life that hasn't required me to work all the time. But the jobs I have had have been remote, and they have been varied. I was a director of operations for a company that made software for iPhones, for example, that actually required a lot of travel. So I I enjoyed that. I am now working for a volunteer organization. And let's face it, during COVID times, everybody's working remotely. So that opens up an entire world of work. In fact, it's never been easier to work from a van than now. You just have to look and see who will let you work remotely. That's it. Now, obviously, remote work almost always requires a solid internet connection, so you're going to have to have a solution for that. Some people simply go to a coffee shop all day. Other people go to the public library, or other people invest a few hundred bucks a month in Wi-Fi hotspots and things like that. They're all surmountable problems. But there are other options. The RV full-time community is a great resource for van lifers looking to work from the road. They've solved this problem. Um, A lot of retirees will move into a motorhome full-time and realize their money isn't as good as they thought it was, or they're just kind of bored. And so they look for work, but they're retired. They don't want regular steady work. So what they do is they work for some of the year and then don't work for the rest of the year. And those things are open to van lifers too. So a great resource and and the best resource, this is the place to start if you want to look into that kind of a lifestyle where you're going to have contracted jobs that aren't full-time, or at least they they are full-time but not permanent over the course of a year. You want to go to work camper. And let me spell that for you. It's W-O-R-K-A-M-P-E-R. So work amper. There's no C in there. Workamper.com. They are a resource for employers and employees, and they're just trying to connect the two. They have a newsletter you can subscribe to. It's well worth it. And they have all different kinds of things on there, from picking blueberries to being a host at a campground to working at some national parks. There's all kinds of things there. But the idea is that it's their jobs that people will do for a temporary amount of time um, one, of the, one of the weird ones I saw was you can be a gate guard at a remote oil well or oil processing center. They basically need people to sit outside the gate and let people in. 
And it pays pretty well, considering that you're not doing very much, but it has a problem in that it's a 24-hour job. You're literally on call 24 hours. So you set up your rig outside the gate, and then every time a truck rolls in, you have to get up and, and open the gate. Interesting, uh, interesting position, but you would typically do this for a few weeks, and then you can just take off for a few months. You, you kind of bank your money. Another thing to consider, if you are any type of creative, like you're a writer or you're an artist, you just have to be able to work from your van. I mean, if you're a writer, you're golden. Not only is your van going to give you inspiration and stories for your writing, no matter what your writing is, you don't care. You're, you're doing the kind of job where you're going to submit your work in batches. And you could certainly do that from a van. Here's another idea. You can process people's tax returns from a van. And that's an actually great job for a van life person because it's typically seasonal. You could open up shop in January, and you could even, if you were creative and you wanted to stay in a certain metro area, you could offer to go to someone's house, collect all their taxes, and then just deliver them all back in a week or a day or whatever your time period is. I mean, it would be a brutal kind of sucky few months doing all that paperwork, but after that, you'd be set for the rest of the year. So don't be afraid of this. There are solutions. You just have to realize that you, you're not looking for a van life job. You're looking for a job that lets you work in your van. I'm going to give you one other resource that I ran across just recently. There's a, an Instagrammer by the name of Divine on the Road. Her name is Sydney, and she has a podcast that I've recommended before. It's called My Solo Road. It's very different from this podcast. It's basically about her life living in a van full-time, and I listen pretty regularly because it gives me a different perspective than I have, so I find that super valuable. But she has started a Facebook group called Earning a Remote Income Van Life, and I'll have a link in the show notes because there, there's quite a few different remote income van life sites what I like about hers is that it's collaborative and supportive, and it seems to focus mainly on people in their late 20s, and that's a big group of people who are finding themselves... Uh, it, see, it's different for me. I'm older. I can do 800 different jobs based on my experience. For younger people who are starting out, I mean, they're kind of starting out on a career versus me just kind of trying to make money in my later years. So... If you're in that category, um, or anybody really, go check this Facebook group out. It's a great idea to toss out ideas and to learn from other people's experiences. And if you happen to be an employer, you will find no more dedicated people than van life folks because they don't take things for granted. They're not the type who are, who's going to skate on a contract generally. They're self-reliant, self-sufficient, and they take themselves pretty seriously, and that in turn, means they take their work pretty seriously. So bottom line, <laughs> bottom line up front, no, in this case, it's bottom line at the end. You can work in your van. You have two problems to overcome. The job has to be doable remote, and you need to be able to communicate with your employer, which usually requires the internet. So those two things you have to overcome. Also, you know, don't forget the obvious gig work delivering food. Uh, depending on your van setup, you might be able to do some expedited hotshot kind of deliveries, courier service, all that stuff's available too. I just wanted to throw that in there so that if you're desperate for money, heck, you could be doing DoorDash in a matter of days and get some money for yourself, especially during the COVID times. So yeah, enough on that. Difficult topic, but I'm glad it's over. Tales from the Road 
So I actually recorded this gigantic, it was almost 45 minute long story about this one tale of the road. It was something I had written a couple of years ago and um, it was kind of interesting, but I decided it's just way too much for the podcast. So I'm just going to summarize it here. I was driving to Texas as one does. And as one does, I wanted to see something interesting on the drive. I didn't just want to get to Texas. I wanted to have a little bit of an experience. I had not spent that much time in Oklahoma. I have spent a night in just about everywhere in the United States, except for I'm not sure about Delaware. I may not have actually spent the night in Delaware, but every other state I have spent at least two nights now. But at the time, I hadn't spent a night in Oklahoma that I could trace back. So I was determined determined that, yep, this is my time. I'm going to spend the night in Oklahoma. So I... I looked at my route and realized that, geez, from Chicago to Texas, you kind of, your Oklahoma's not all that good and stuff. And I was like, uh, what can I do here? And then I was like, wait, I'm going to do some rural Oklahoma. So I found a little area and decided I'm going to stay there. Now, at the time, I was driving a smart car, so I booked a hotel. Because I'll tell you what, sleeping in the smart car is not something I'm ever going to be able to do. Sorry, I wish I could. And then when I got to the hotel, it was about four in the afternoon, I was like, okay, I need to find something here. There has to be something here that is story worthy. So I pulled out the map. Yes, I had a paper map of Oklahoma. And I'm looking over the map and I found a town called America. And I thought to myself, well, what could be better than that? It's actually America in Oklahoma. Native America, I assume. But I didn't go there because next to it was something even more intriguing. It was the town or the place that is called Moon. Moon, Oklahoma. And it was well within driving distance of where I was staying. So I hopped in the smart car and headed over there. Now, what do you think I saw in Moon? What I saw was um, a little bit surprising. Uh, as I pulled into town, I saw what looked very much like a field full of goats. And as I drove by, I realized that it was a field full of goats and that these goats were not penned in in any way. And I thought, well, that's very odd. And then maybe a couple miles down the road, as I was pulling into Moon proper, I saw the predictable dead goat on the side of the road. And I thought to myself, I guess that's inevitable if you let your goats run around without a fence between them and the road where people are doing 75 miles an hour, you're going to have a dead goat here and there. As I got closer and realized there was a massive cloud of flies around the goat, I noticed the goat had a distinctly canine affect and realized that this wasn't a goat. It was a dog. And this dog was in plain sight of a few homes, but there it sat on the side of the road, significantly bigger than it was when it was alive, and looking very goat-like in the way that fainting goats look, if that makes any sense. If you've ever seen a fainting goat, well, if you haven't, just go to YouTube and type in fainting goat, and you'll educate yourself on this weird animal. And when they fall down, their legs kind of stick out straight, and, well, yeah, you get the idea, and I'm perhaps belaboring the point of the dead dog, but that was my welcome to Moon. Now, Moon, if uh, you try to Google this, there's not a lot of web presence for Moon. It doesn't really have any businesses. It has a few homes. But the most striking thing about Moon is that it looks like the Moon. And it is not named for that. It seems to be named after Frederick Douglass Moon, 
who was a, uh, a prominent Oklahoman speaker at the turn of the 20th century. It seems to have been named after him. Not really sure. I couldn't find that information, but that's the best guess. But, but this is the case where a place was named something and came to look like it. And the reason is that the entire place is farmland, but the crop is trees. It's owned by Weyerhaeuser, Weyer, Weyer, Weyerhaeuser, Weyerhaeuser, Weyerhaeuser. Pick one of those that sounds like it's the right one and pretend I said that. And they harvest trees. They grow trees maybe seven or eight years. They're all very uniform and very lined up. They, it's a crop. And then they come in and tear them all down. And after they're all torn down, it leaves a moonscape in that it is nothing but a bunch of craters, not, no vegetation. It's just this big, open, wide area. And you could imagine you were on another planet. I know that I certainly felt like I was on another planet. In fact, I felt very alien. Maybe this happens to you too, that when I drive long distances, I kind of dissociate a bit and I become a little bit less human. So I kind of feel like an alien. And in this case, driving to moon, I definitely felt like it was an alien territory. But that didn't stop me from exploring. I mean, after all, the idea that we see aliens on Earth, which I don't actually think we do, but that idea would lend itself to the idea that aliens are curious and coming to visit us. So if I'm going to play the role of alien, I'm going to be the curious alien. So I drove around the town. I mean, again, there's no town. It's, it's some houses and these fields that look like the moon. And I tried to get to moon proper. And I looked on the map and it wasn't on any of the GPS apps except for Google Maps. It wasn't on Apple Maps or Waze, but it was there. I could see it but I couldn't get to it. The, the actual center of the town was a dot on the railroad tracks. And I realized that Moon was the name of the train station. This town was built around a train station on an ancient, long-defunct rail line, and that the actual point of the town was someplace you couldn't get to by road because it pre-existed roads and never came to a prominence where a road would matter or the roads had been overgrown by trees or whatever. Nonetheless, I drove around as much as I could, and um, at one point I even got out of the car to walk around, but I was instantly attacked by horseflies. Just these unbelievably gigantic horseflies. In fact, one got in the car for a while and had to shoot off. You know, horseflies don't sting, but they bite, and their bite isn't really a bite, it's more like a chew. It's a chewy kind of a bug, and I, uh, I'm i not into that, so I was deciding that I was going to stay in the car for this journey. As I was driving around in my smart car in rural Oklahoma and going by a few homes, I started to notice that I was becoming something of a curiosity in their town. After all, a smart car driving around in rural Oklahoma is maybe about as common as a flying saucer in rural Oklahoma, maybe even less. And here I was, driving down these dirt roads, because, hey, Moon has not encountered pavement yet, hauling behind me a quarter-mile-long dust cloud and creating a spectacle for all the neighbors. In one case, I ended up on a road that was a dead end, and at the very end of the road was a house. Now, if you looked at the map, the road went through, except that in reality, there was a house crossing the road, so I don't know if they knew they built their house on a road, or if the map makers knew that this was actually a house. I don't know how that happened. But the result was that I came up on this house that probably doesn't get very many visitors, trailing my quarter mile long dust cloud, 
just to stop in front of this house with the porch and these two guys sitting on it with beers in hand, just kind of looking at me, wondering why I was there. Now, if I were not feeling like such an alien, I might have gotten out of the car and had a very interesting conversation. But I was feeling like an alien, and I wasn't feeling like a welcome alien. So, without actually stopping the car, because this is a smart car, I can turn around in just about any space, I turned the car around and headed back. Unfortunately, the dust cloud did not follow my car. The dust cloud kept going with the momentum I had given it, and plowed itself right onto the porch with the two gentlemen drinking beer. You're welcome. I really hope that they thought it was funny. I had put enough distance between me and them by the time I realized this was happening that I actually didn't see what their reaction was. That's about it for Moon. Uh, those are the highlights of Moon, Oklahoma and my trip there. Well, I'll tell you one more story. I was driving down one of the particularly cratered places, and there was a field filled with all kinds of big equipment, like for tearing down trees, because that's what they do there. There was a big mobile home on it, and there was someone sitting on the porch. I was looking at a weird tree. There was this really weird, creepy tree with vines hanging on it. It looked like a ghost. And as I was looking at it, I realized that a gentleman in the mobile home was sitting on his porch looking at me. And I made eye contact with him, and we just kind of nodded at each other. And that nod meant simply that we recognized that we were both of the same species, or at least close. We recognized that each other was there. And that was it. That was the only connection there was. But it was a connection. I wouldn't say it was nice or pleasant, but it was just a very human moment. This person is leading their journey on their life, and for whatever reason, on that date, it led them to sit on that porch and look out. And my journey on my life had led me to drive down their road in a smart car. And for the only time in our lives, the two of us were going to be connected by space and time. And recognizing that moment was significant. That's my story of Moon, Oklahoma. I don't know that I'll ever be back. I am not going to recommend it as a place you should visit. But I am going to say, it's a place you should think about. Okay, I've got a Q&A here. Um, gentleman by the name of Adam contacted me. Super nice guy. Thank you for all the praise about the show. I really appreciate it. But he asked... He asked a question I hope nobody would ever ask, and I'm going to answer it for him. I already did via email, but I'm going to talk about it here on the podcast. Basically, he said, The thing that's stopping me in my tracks is general insurance of a converted cargo van, used as a daily driver, but also a weekender. Do you have any knowledge to share on this front? I'd appreciate, I appreciate it in advance, even for just considering to reply. Again, this is, Adam's a super nice guy. All right. <laughs> insurance. Caveats, I'm not an insurance expert. I don't want to be an insurance expert. Insurance is one of those things that I'd rather spend as little time thinking about as possible. But yeah, it's something you have to consider. So let's talk very briefly about the kinds of insurance that we care about in a van. First off, you've got collision. That's if you cause an accident, and you're going to have to have collision insurance if you have a loan on the vehicle. That's required as part of your loan. That's an expensive part, too, so keep that in mind. Then there's comprehensive. That covers things like theft, people uh, breaking into your van, 
it'll cover the van and not the stuff in it necessarily. And then broken glass, like if a rock flies up and hits your windshield, that's all part of comprehensive. That's optional coverage, but it's a good thing to have. You don't have to have comprehensive unless you have a loan. And then the one part you need to have that is required almost everywhere, I think, in the United States is called liability insurance. In my opinion, of those three, the one you should focus the most on is liability insurance because this comes down to a problem of money. We're just talking about money here with insurance. That's it. And of all the things that can happen in your van, your van gets broken into, your van gets stolen, your van burns down, or you hit somebody, hitting somebody is going to be the biggest financial impact to you. And when you're looking at money, that's the thing you really want to insure against. If you hit somebody and you paralyze them, I really, really hope that that never happens to anybody. You could be on the line for millions of dollars. It is a very, very big deal. And that's what liability insurance is for. So when you're buying insurance, maximize your liability insurance as much as you can. That is my advice. I think comprehensive is a good idea as well. And I think collision is only a good idea if you have a fairly new vehicle. My vehicle being a 2014, collision's probably not worth it for me. It's debatable, but don't forget, this isn't free. This is stuff you're spending money for. And, and insurance is simply gambling. When you buy insurance, you are betting that you are going to have something bad happen and that you're going to need to get paid for that. The insurance company is actually betting that nothing bad will happen. It's kind of a weird way to look at it, but that's actually how insurance works. Now, to get back to Adam's question, um, a lot of van builders have found out to their chagrin that cargo vans, that is vans that only have two seats up front and no seats in the back, are considered commercial vehicles by many, many states. That means you have to register them as commercial vehicles and you have to pay higher fees because they're treated as business vehicles. As far as insurance is concerned, and again, this varies so much by state that please don't take anything I say as gospel. They're going to go by the VIN number. And if that VIN number says this is a commercial vehicle, they're going to charge you a commercial vehicle rate, which kind of sucks. I have a weird case. My NV200 is the title's wrong. And therefore, I was able to register it as a passenger vehicle, which is technically not the way it's supposed to be registered in Illinois. But the insurance doesn't care. All they care about is the VIN number. So remember that. You are going to be insured based on your VIN number. Then you might say, oh, well, I converted it. It's an RV now. I want to get RV insurance. Well, okay, not so easy there. RV insurance requires, basically, it requires your insurance company to recognize it as an RV. And that varies by state. Sometimes they need to be registered as an RV. And a lot of times there is a list of things something must be to be an RV. It has to have plumbing. It has to have attached cabinets. It has to have attached stove. There's a, there's a list. Every state has a list. And in some cases, it has to be certified by the Recreation Vehicle Industry Association, who certifies all commercial RVs that you see. Bottom line, it's a hassle. Okay, if you want to insure your van as an RV or as a camper or register it as such, you are going to go through a lot of paperwork and hassle. The poor folks in the UK, if you ever pay any attention to the UK folks in Facebook and or whatever, they are constantly fighting their version of, of the DMV because their requirements seem crazy to me. You have to have 
a certain number of windows, and you have to have graphics on the side that make it makes it look like a camper. I, I have no idea what that's about. So I'm sorry, guys. We have similar stupid things here, too. In my case, my van is insured as a van. What about all the stuff inside it? What about all the work I put into it? Well, in my case, I own a house, and my house has homeowner's insurance, and all the stuff inside is covered under homeowner's insurance. That's the simplest way to handle that. But if you live in your van full-time, you're going to find that it's very difficult to get the things inside insured. And the one thing you can never get insured is all that time you put into building it. That's just lost. Unless your van is built by a professional van building outfit and you have receipts for that, there is literally no insurance value in all that work you put in there. My take on this is insurance is a necessary evil, but I don't want it to dictate my life in the van. I'm not going to change anything in my van to save a little bit of insurance money. So I have decided I'm going to insure the van. I'm going to get as much liability as I can. I'm going to get comprehensive and collision. I'm not so excited about. And then I'm going to just live my life like that and not think about insurance anymore. That's how I handle it. And I know that if anything really bad happens with me getting into an accident, I may lose the van, but I'm at least not going to have any super huge financial problems after that. So here's another way to look at this, and I highly recommend that anybody who's able to do it this way. Insure yourself. You're going to insure the vehicle. That goes without saying. Get that liability insurance. Get the comprehensive, like I just said. But for everything else, create a fund of money that you have just in case something terrible happens. Because insurance isn't free. You're going to be paying 60, 100, 200, 300 bucks a month for insurance. What if you just paid that to yourself? Pay for the liability, pay for the comprehensive, and then the rest of it you pay yourself. And then it's in your bank, and if you need it, great. If you don't need it, great. You're basically playing both sides of the casino here. Whether you win or lose blackjack, you still win. I'm going to give you a couple of tips for insurance. First, this is a type of thing that you want to have a personal relationship with an agent if you can. They will try to find a way to insure you. The agent wants to insure you. The script-driven people at the phone bank, they're not so much caring about that. But the agent wants to insure you, so they will find a way. Also consider a broker. This would be an agent who represents many companies. They're going to have lots of options for you. There's one name that keep that kept coming up as I was researching this topic, and that name is State Farm. A lot of people said that State Farm was the only place they could get insurance that they liked. Another name that came up in the opposite direction was AAA. AAA apparently does not want to talk to self-build van people. That's just what I've seen in the research I did. One other tip about the commercial van thing. The VIN is how the vehicle was built. So if you wanted to get, say, an Econoline 150, that would be a commercial vehicle. But if you got a club wagon, which is exactly the same vehicle, except that it has windows and seats, that's a passenger car in many places. You're going to be able to register that differently. And that matters more than you might think. Not only are you going to have a cheaper registration and possibly cheaper insurance, you're also going to have more places you can drive because there are parts of the country that are off limits for commercial vehicles. For example, in, in Chicago here, we have Lakeshore Drive, which famous road in Chicago, only for quote-unquote pleasure vehicles. No pickup trucks allowed, no cargo vans. 
<laughs> except mine because I have the wrong registration. Massachusetts has the same thing, the, the Linfells Parkway. Also, you can't drive there. So philosophically speaking, don't let insurance be something that's going to dictate your life. But if you're extremely organized and extremely financially oriented, and this stuff is actually somewhat fun for you, the best way to keep your price as low as possible is to keep incredibly detailed records of everything you have there. Because after all, insurance companies are all based on algorithms. And if you can give them a list of how much everything in your van costs, you're making their lives easier and it's easier for them to give you a policy. Don't listen to me. Go find an agent or a broker and talk with them and explain your situation. Do not lie to them. If you don't get the answer you like, you can always go somewhere else. And if you lie to them, and if you say you make up, like, for example, I can think of an easy way to defraud insurance companies on this. Uh, if they find out, you're going to jail. So don't do that. It, it's Not only is it not ethical, it's kind of stupid because they have really good detectives. <laughs> so... That's it for insurance. Adam, I hope that is somewhat helpful, um, but I urge you, just don't let this keep you up at night. You're going to find a way. And, um, and for folks just starting out, start researching this topic now so you don't get this big surprise of, hey, I'm done with my van, and oh my God, my insurance is $300 a month, and it doesn't even cover the stuff in the back. Folks, thanks for listening to this episode 23. I absolutely appreciate each and every one of you. I know this was kind of an unusual episode, and, you know, sometimes that's okay, but we'll get back to more of the normal format. Music, as always, was by Simon Wagg, a.k.a. Sir Mouge. Stay safe out there. We're not through this yet, but we are going to get through this, and we'll all be able to hit the road once again. And I know many of you have never left. <laughs>